life that you did not create for yourself and now you're looking to leap from sitting back and letting life happen into you driving your own life to success. The path to a successful and wholesome life used to be a long and binding journey and usually someone else's, especially if you are a recent graduate or did not have any clue where to start. Hi and welcome to the Unique Podcast. I'm your host Anushka and in each episode of the Unique Podcast, we uncover what makes you you and we dive deep into topics that no one told you about. Each episode is defined and designed to help you identify who you are and show you who you want to become regardless of whose steps you've been following. Every week we invite fascinating impact-driven guests whether it be CEOs, coaches or world-renowned athletes who will provide you with science-based actionable strategies for greater productivity, certainty, fulfillment, success, healthy relationships, the art of change, and finding meaningful work. Are you ready to change your life? Hi everyone, welcome to the NEQ podcast. Today we have a very special guest amongst us. It's Arian Abke and Aaron is a true inspiration because as you can see, Aaron is pretty young, but he talks about something very non-traditional and something that touches our hearts and souls, which is spirituality. And I'm super excited to have Aaron in here and share his perspective on the world and how he sees spirituality. So welcome, Aaron, and thank you so much for joining us today and our audience. Thank you for having me, Anushka. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and um, I wanted to, I'm so excited to jump right into the conversation with you because there's so many things that I personally want to learn from you, and I think the audience could benefit from. So first question that comes to mind is, what is spirituality? Do you think it's religion? Do you think it is meditation? Or what do you think spirituality is in its true essence from your perspective? To, to boil down what I believe spirituality is in a nutshell, I would say self-awareness. Mm. Um, there's no term that I think better describes when we say, oh, this is a very spiritual person. A lot of times people think um, a spiritual person is somebody who has a lot of spiritual knowledge. And uh, I've experienced, I've had relationships with, with more than one person who were incredibly spiritually knowledgeable who could write the best books they could have they had their own podcast they were extremely spiritually wise and they were just about the least self-aware people i've ever met um when they were in a trigger or um something of that nature there was just no awareness present no consciousness it was total ego defense mechanisms uh nothing i could do would break them out of their triggers and that was um having those relationships with people has been a was a huge wake-up call to me that like hey let's not forget the map is not the territory right just because you've collected a bunch of concepts doesn't mean you are truly becoming more spiritual in fact a lot of times as you probably know the ego can use all of that spiritual knowledge to beef itself up and create this massive spiritual ego which creates even more of a blind spot for that person because now they think that they're truly enlightened or have arrived because they have all this knowledge and they can impress people but they have no true awareness of who they are they have no awareness of the present moment and when they get carried away by ego they're they're completely oblivious to it and somebody who might be a janitor in an ashram or something uh who 
doesn't have a podcast and doesn't have all the best knowledge available might be, you know, five or six lifetimes more self-aware than those people are. So that's why I like to say to me, spirituality truly is self-awareness. Oh, that is so powerful. You said a couple of things here that really stuck out to me. The first one, of course, is self-awareness because self-awareness can look very different for different people. Do you think it is something that can be cultivated or just like, how is it different from overthinking? Because I know a few people in my personal relationships who are um, who overthink or are overly analytical of things. How is that different from being self-aware, like being analytical for, of yourself versus being self-aware? So how would you define self-awareness? To define self-awareness, we have to be clear on what self we're talking about because somebody being very analytical, self-analytical could very much be them just becoming aware of, of their ego, of their egoic mm -hmm. persona. Um, what self-images am I putting forward? Are people seeing me the way I want them to see me? Am I being validated in my identities right now? That's all ego stuff, right? So self-awareness is really asking the question, who am I at every possible moment? Like when a thought appears, when you're in a trigger, when you have a, a, a traumatic memory reappear, whatever the case may be, you have to inquire into the source of that thought. Who is, on, on whose behalf is this thought appearing? Because we, we're commonly just taking ourselves to be the ego, the egoic mind. And so when a thought appears, it's just claimed as, yep, that's my thought. I'm thinking that, I'm believing this. And when that's not questioned, all of these thoughts just get amplified over time and the egoic identity gets stronger. So self-inquiry is the practice of finding the source of the thought. Who is generating this thought? Who, on whose behalf is this memory appearing? And when you ask that question, the answer becomes clear. Oh, it's, it's ego. It's conditioning thinking this. It's not the true nature thinking this. And if you can have that insight, this is not my true nature, but this is ego, then there's a separation that happens, a separation in identity that happens, which drains that thought of its influence on you. So now it can just be watched and witnessed and the thought might be saying, hey, scream at this person, cuss them out, whatever. But you now have the awareness that that thought's not my thought, which means it's not what I want to do. So self-awareness to me is to be very present with whatever appears and to just keep questioning and looking at who is the source of this thought. And the reason that's so powerful, Anushka, is because your true nature is completely silent and completely still and perfect. It doesn't have any personal desires or needs. It's not lacking anything. It doesn't want anything. It just shines as that bright, beautiful, loving awareness in every moment. So it's never the one generating those thoughts. It's always the mind. And that doesn't mean you have to discard every single thought. If, if there's a useful thought, like, oh, I need to answer that email. Great, that's a useful thought. We can make use of that. But if it's causing me suffering, that's the sort of cue that it's, I need to inquire into the source of this thought. Hmm, that's super interesting because um, sometimes we get lost in what thought are ours or what is being caused by the mind. Like you said, like some thoughts are essentially felt by all human beings, but they are not from our within or from the true self-talking. So is there a way to discover 
the difference between how do we detach ourselves? I think the key here might be detachment from thoughts, right? So how do we detach ourselves from thoughts that are produced by the mind versus from the soul, if I may? Yeah, great question. I would say that detachment is not something you do, but it's something that happens as a byproduct of uh, being inwardly focused. When, when you're really looking inside yourself and with, with genuine curiosity, uh, these, these techniques don't work as techniques. Like it's not a mantra that you just repeat and it, it, you know, give me some results. Who am I? Okay, cool. I did it. It doesn't work like that. Right. There has to be a genuine, like, I don't think that I would ever create a thought that causes myself to suffer. So who is creating this thought and just look at it right with real interest almost like childlike wonder, like, I don't know. I'd like to know the answer. Something about that vibration, um, source intelligence meets it every time. Uh, you know, there's a verse uh, where Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For anyone who seeks finds, anyone who asks will be answered. And to anyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So he goes in this like pretty long monologue about the fact that like, Apparently, if you ask with genuine uh, sincerity, God will always answer you. So the reason we don't get answers is because we're not really asking with sincerity, meaning some part of me is still holding on to that old egoic thing. Like, I don't really want to let go of it yet. I'm not really ready to lay that down at the altar, so to speak, but I want to feel like I am and feel like I'm a spiritual person. So I do the practices, but I'm not really seeing that part of me that's still very attached to that story or desire or whatever it is. So there has to be a real surrender and a real abandonment to the separate self. You have to become very clear on the fact that like, this is the cause of my suffering, regardless of what my mind wants me to think about it. I trust that higher self can show me the way if I'm first willing to lay down my pride and arrogance that I know better and I can find my own way to happiness. There has to be that kind of brokenness inside of you where you come before God with open arms saying, of my own accord, I can do nothing without you. Please show me the way to truth. That is the vibration to be in for self-inquiry. And when you're in that vibration and you're giving that sincerity out to God, uh, detachment just happens. It's really like a working of the inner guru or the Holy Spirit or higher self, whatever you want to call it it does the work for you, right? It's only your obligation to bring the right heart to the table. Oh, that's so beautiful, Aaron. And um, I remember when we were chatting before and even circling back from our conversation just right now is the concept of ego because ego is often defined as just pride and people say, no, I'm not egoistic, but the concept of ego goes much beyond that. And that often gets into the way of our self-awareness so how do you like first of all i would love for your definition of ego as to beyond just the traditional way it's defined in and secondly how can one overcome it how can one discover what it is and slowly from step by step start overcoming ego yeah this is really one of my favorite topics to teach about because it's it's so um, I don't know the word I would use. It's so powerful when somebody understands what their ego really is versus typically what you hear that it is. 
And I felt a really strong need for this when I started teaching because I was asking these questions years and years ago when I was going through my depression and stuff. I was trying to understand why is my mind doing this to me? Why is my own mind causing me so much misery? So I was really looking at this question, like what is this ego thing? It doesn't make any sense that it would be hurting me if it's supposed to be helping me survive. And in asking those questions, um, you know, inner guru began to reveal some real answers to me. And I began to see that like basically every definition I'd ever been told about what ego is was not just wrong, but pretty much the exact opposite from what your ego is. So to your point, you know, you said um, people will say things like your ego is your personality or your ego is your sense of self. That's what your ego is. It's the sense of self you have. And it's sort of kind of true in a way, but truthfully, what the ego is in spirituality, we'll say there is no ego. And the reason that we say that is because actually what the ego is, is not an entity, but it's an activity of the mind. So I'll, I'll summarize it often by saying the ego is the mental activity of claiming or identifying. It's the act of being identified. So your personality by itself is not a problem. Your sense of self, none of these things are issues, your stories, your memories, the roles that you play in life. None of these are an issue or cause any suffering at all until you identify with them and say, that's my story. That's my thought. That's my feeling, my action. I'm doing it. I'm thinking it. That's ego. It's the I, I, I that you attach to everything. And there's this just reflexive automatic mechanism of identifying even to pick up my phone. Some part of my brain says, I did that. I picked it up. And it's, if we really look at that, right, we go back to the self-inquiry. It's like, did I really pick it up? Well, my body picked it up. Am I the body? Let's look at that. Look at that question. It becomes really clear, really quick. Oh, I'm definitely not the body. And, you know, am I, am I the brain that fired the, neuro, the neurons to coordinate the way my fingers move? Like, I put zero effort into any of that. I didn't actually do any of it. I really truthfully witnessed the body pick up the phone. So the deeper we look into who am I, who am I, we ask this question, we find that we never get an answer. Nothing ever appears and goes, yeah, that's definitely what I am. This object here, the body, the mind, the this, the that, the thinker, the feeler, I'm, I'm beyond all those things because I am aware of them. So ego is the activity of identifying, meaning that if we use the example of like a fire, a fire in and of itself is not a problem, but trying to grab the fire becomes a problem, doesn't it? Now, everyone will tell you this fire is the ego. So get rid of this fire, right? And we don't need to get rid of the fire. The fire is not a problem. We just have to stop trying to grab the fire. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And um, it's like that idea of our consciousness and coming back to the sense of just being conscious that is so um i think at the essence of it right and how does one humble down or it's not even humbling honestly it's like how does how do we begin to on that journey of setting ourselves apart from our body or setting ourselves apart from any kind of attachments that are there outside of our sense of self is there a way or yeah <clears throat> Yeah, it's really just questioning the thoughts or the belief aggressively and relentlessly. 
Mm-hmm. Once you become very clear on the fact that, you know, most spiritual texts, A Course in Miracles being one, uh, the law of one talks about this idea, Bhagavad Gita, Buddhism, they really all will point to this idea that like you have to get over the belief that I'm the body. You have to know who you are beyond the body. As long as you believe I am this body, I am this person, then every single thing the body or the person suffers, you will suffer. So there's no escaping the karmic wheel while you're the body. In fact, karma only applies to a body. So all all we ever have to do is to question. An unquestioned mind is, you know, a prison cell of torment. But a questioned mind is a sanctuary of peace. If, If you are questioning your thoughts, that means you're not identifying with them. And it's only the act of being identified that amplifies or juices up a thought, right? It's, it's your attention that the mind uses as its energy source. Your attention is the oxygen the ego is breathing to keep these thoughts alive. So normally there's just that reflexive mechanism of thinking all these thoughts about everything ego has claimed. And that's why I said a minute ago that it's kind of true to say that the ego is my sense of self because everything ego has identified with, it collects And so you refer to this giant bundle of thoughts and memories that your ego has collected over the years and you feel like that's me. So truthfully, ego is your false sense of self, not your true sense of self. The true sense of self is that ungiven primordial knowledge I am that was never taught to you. You never learned it. You can't trace back the first time you you realized I am. It's always been with you, the knowledge I exist and it can't ever be divorced from you. So that is your true sense of self. And that sense of self, as we said a minute ago, is completely perfect. It has absolutely no problems. It's eternal. It cannot die. It was never born. Um, It is deathless. It is imperishable. So how can you have any problems when you're eternal and deathless and imperishable, right? Problems arise for the body, for the identities. So question that belief, I am the body, aggressively, relentlessly. Remind yourself, I am pure awareness. As often as you're in suffering, know that your suffering is appearing on behalf of that belief. So just go to the the root cause, right? Question the belief in being the body. Very quickly, the mind begins kind of unraveling itself and deconditioning itself. And it starts to let go of those beliefs because when they appear, you're questioning them. You're starving them of oxygen, right? It happens actually very quickly if you're diligently committed to the practice. Typically, it takes a lot longer for people to dissolve these beliefs out because they're not really committing to the practice in a dedicated way. But every so often, they'll question. But 90% of the time, they're still fueling those beliefs. So there really does have to be a total abandonment and commitment to this path. Aaron, um, what like you made a lot of powerful suggestions there as to how can one practice it in their lives. And I'm just very curious, how did you begin on your journey? Because um, I know for a fact, as I can, I know that it takes a long time or even like this journey is to be enjoyed through step by step. So can you trace it back to where it began for you or what inspired you? Because the inspiration for this journey really has to come from within and it cannot be done out of achieving something and it cannot be achieved by wanting to look a certain way or wanting to be someone who's spiritually entitled. So how did that intrinsic motivation or where did it come for you from? 
It's a really good question. And it's one I've asked a lot myself as well, because my journey has been, you know, my whole lifetime. And there's, there's no moment I can really trace back to mm-hmm. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was a very devout Christian my whole life. So I've always been very spiritual. We could say um, there's been very um, pivotal sort of like, like pinnacle moments of my journey, like leaving Christianity at 23, kind of having, having my awakening out of religion, having a, really dramatic spiritual awakening at 27. But even after that, I went right back into my old identifications and was suffering with depression even worse than before. And it was, it's really been a slow cooking process more than anything that has helped me arrive at this state I'm in now where I just have so much peace in my heart all the time. Uh, I have so much love for everyone that I see and experience and interact with. And just four or five years ago, I was, uh, I had so much social anxiety. I I hated being around people. Um, I was in a very bad place. And that journey has happened almost like falling asleep at night. It's been such a slow process that I can't really say like, when was the exact moment I fell asleep last night? (laughs) Like I sort of have fallen into this piece. Like you fall into a dream. It's like, when did it happen? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But what I can say to answer your question is that there's always seemed to be a real like repulsion that I've had for suffering. Like I've never been able to just accept with and live with my suffering. There's been some kind of maybe like deep innate knowing in me, like this isn't right. This isn't my true nature. This shouldn't be happening. Uh, There is freedom from this available and I'm going to find it like that conviction has never left me. I've, I think the only reason I didn't, um, I I struggled with really depressive suicidal thoughts for a long time, but I never Mm -hmm. thought of giving into them. I was just like suffering from the fact that they were always there. Life is meaningless. Life is hopeless. Give up, give up, give up. But that internal, like, awareness always knew like that's not true i'm not giving into that i know that there's an answer or a solution a remedy to this pain Mm -hmm. and because of that i was just always seeking for answers relentlessly and like i mentioned a minute ago really had that reckless abandonment to this path i mean when i had the spiritual awakening really all that that did for me was to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that that state is absolutely possible for the human it's available in this lifetime but it's a it's a pretty radical finely tuned state of consciousness that you're not just going to like stumble into you've got to want it with all your heart and soul and go for it and give up everything else that's in its way or you're not going to have it and i believe that's really what all of our souls are here doing as long as we still have personal egoic desires we're going to keep the cycle of rebirth going but Eventually, you'll get to a place in your journey where the question, who am I, will appear inside of you and it will not be quenched by anything. Like no person. Personal desire, no worldly pleasure can satisfy it. Somebody could lay a million pounds of gold at your feet and say, give up that question and I'll give you this. And it would be like dirt to you or something, right? Like it means nothing. The only thing that matters to me is to find the answer to this question, who am I? And I think I sort of had that burning question in me since I can remember. 
And I, I sought for that in Christianity as a kid and, and saw that in Jesus, was very inspired and moved by Jesus. And that's why now I do a lot of teaching on, on Christ. I have some series on my YouTube channel. He was always kind of my figurehead. And I think Christ served as the catalyst for me to first see that this state of God realization is available because this man achieved it. Mm-hmm. And then the spiritual awakening I had at 27 kind of removed any doubt I had. So it was really after that point, I went right back to the place I was in before the awakening happened, but with the firm, resolute conviction, freedom is available. I've had a free sample of it. Now I'm willing to abandon everything. So I walked out of my fitness modeling career. Um, I quit my agency. I quit bodybuilding. I was competing on the national level at bodybuilding in Las Vegas and things. I couldn't have cared less. I walked out of my whole life, devoted everything to seeking and as soon as I did that, the answer started coming very quickly and the freedom from suffering I was looking for was just, was always right around the corner. It was just waiting on my full, complete devotion to finding it. Wow, this gives me so much hope, Aaron, because uh, sometimes as college students or as recent grads, it's, it can be so hard to know or to have, like to keep on carrying on that hope within us for the future. So just knowing that your relentless pursuit for spirituality or for that question, who am I, was enough to empower you through all those experiences you had, right? And one thing I wanted to bookmark over there that you said was you talked about Christianity and it's so um, beautiful because it was inspiring to you, but what is one misbelief someone who is not religious might have towards spirituality? Because in a traditional sense, um, I see that a lot of people run away from the concept of spirituality or to even learn anything about it or to even discover it because they're scared of religion. So do you have any suggestions or any words on that? You know, I think people, if they do anything, they typically will associate spirituality with religion. So they'll probably see spirituality as just kind of another religion, a little bit more um, open-hearted religion, but it's still religion. You got to do stuff. You got to follow practices. You got to meditate or whatever. And um, I don't have time for that. I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to buy cool things, live my life. Like I don't have time to get quiet, you know? And what I would always say to people is spirituality asks nothing of you in terms of like anything of real value. So don't feel like you need to change anything about your life. Just start looking inward a bit. Just start asking the question, who am I? Be willing to question this hyper identification you have with the body. I would always, I would always ask people to start there first. Kind of like the Matrix, the movie, The Matrix. Mm-hmm. To, to wake up from the realization, I am not my body is like Neo waking up in The Matrix because the body is also a part of the world. Um, Really the body is the world, the world you experience. You're you're just as much the world you experience as the body through which you experience it. But there's just this constant mental reflexive thing saying, I'm the body, I'm the body, I'm the body, I'm the body. And so you never question it. But the moment you start truly questioning it, it breaks down in a hurry. Like it's the red pill from Morpheus. Just be willing to question this one idea. And I think you'll start to recognize 
a lot of things that used to mean a lot to you that you were anxious about just kind of begin dropping out and you're less and less concerned with like, I got to be famous. I got to be super rich. I got to have this. I got to have that. Some deeper transcendent awareness in you just starts naturally recognizing there is no happiness to be found in those things. Actually, all that they do, the pursuit of those things is to perpetuate my misery. And so it never feels like you're actually sacrificing anything, even though a year from now, you may have well given up all those material desires. You know, a year ago, you would look at that and go, oh my gosh, no, it happened. I gave up all my desires. Oh, this is the worst possible thing. But current present day you who's actually done it says that was the greatest decision I ever made. I'm so glad I abandoned those useless desires. It's just that you can't see it from the person's point of view. You'll never see it. The person can only reinforce the person. All my desires really will fulfill me. They will bring me happiness. I'm convicted of it. I'm going to go pursue them. And in the act of pursuing them only is what proves to you that they can't because we gain the desire, we get the fame, we get the fortune, we get the whatever, and we find, wow, I'm just as depressed as always. Nothing has changed, I just have a Ferrari. And yeah. those recognitions begin to prove to you awareness, I am not the body, what the body wants is not what I want. And so you can circumvent that process by just beginning by questioning the body now. You don't have to let life prove to you through pain and misery that those things are futile. You can find out now by questioning their source, which is the I am the body idea. Just question it, harmless question, go for it. And then watch the results happen. It's truly a, an astounding process to witness in people. Oh, right. And just that one question, it sounds like it can have that kind of like tumbling effect on things. And one thing starts to unfold after another and you just need to trust it, right? So yeah. um, are there any suggestions you have for like daily things that you practice that allow you to you know keep that sense like centered like just keep you centered in that sense of i am any practices that you would recommend or simply that you practice mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of really sort of fun practices that I, I do on a daily basis and some of them now are just kind of force of habit they just they just happen um but i can give you like a couple of examples these, these are things that I've figured out through either reading a text like A Course in Miracles or Law of One or listening to different sages' teachings over the, over the centuries. You pick up a lot of really good insider tips from these ascended masters, how they achieved that state. And just by bringing those practices into your life, I've seen just unbelievable results so quickly from seemingly simple things. Now, one of those things, this is um, really A Course of Miracles and Law of One related, is to whenever you're out in public or even with somebody, just spend some time looking at people and imagining, like literally using your imagination to imagine what would it be like if I was born in that body? Oh. Like me, this sense of me, this I am center that I am, what if that was planted in another meat suit like that one? And then you just begin to imagine like, wow, so like all of their pain is my pain. Like I've suffered everything they've suffered. As soon as you start looking at that, there's this immense sort of compassion and connection you feel with that person that can't even be described. And, you know, I would be, I'll be in Starbucks in the grocery store and doing this practice and just having these oneness experiences and feeling so much bliss and love for people. 
And that practice is, is like a refiner's fire for your consciousness. It just starts to burn up all of these old egoic filters of separation. Like that, screw that person. They're, they're in line before me. Like they're an inconvenience to my day. Ego's always doing that. And when you get calm and still and present and just look at people with that loving awareness that, hey, I'm you in another body. It just starts to burn up all that stuff and the mind becomes more quiet and more quiet. And then naturally, as you're just out and about, every person you see is reflecting back to you that sense of I am. You just know I am that person. They are me. There is no separation. It's just me having a different dream in that dream body. That's what we call love. It's the recognition of oneness. So that's one of my favorite ones to do. And the other one is just simply to remind myself I am pure awareness. And so even if I'm like at the gym, like working out, I'll practice watching my body do the repetitions as if it's just a robot. And like, I don't even know what it's going to do next. I'm like, wow, look at the way it pushes up the dumbbell. Look at the way that it jumps on the box and throws the ball and squats. Like, wow, the body's so amazing. And I just become the witness of the body. And as long as you're doing that practice, you're sitting in the seat of awareness. You're not sitting in the, I am the body idea. And Every moment you spend sitting, meditating as awareness is also that refiner's fire that really begins to sort of purify your mind from all of those egoic filters of separation. When I asked you that question, I was honestly expecting some sort of a meditation practice, but that is something very new. And the word you said over there, meat suit, that was very interesting, Aaron. And <laughs> <laughs> that is a very um, interesting way to look at um, other people or other souls, because that kind of enlightens the compassion within us. And you mentioned law of one. So I'm unaware, but could you please um, elaborate on what the law of one is or just define it for the audience here, please? Yeah, the law of one and A Course in Miracles are sort of my two favorite texts. And they're both actually channeled texts. Mm -hmm. um, and channeling, if uh, those might not be familiar, uh, it's going to sound maybe woo-woo to some people, but channeling is the practice of communicating with um, we could say higher density beings, maybe even extraterrestrials or something, however you want to define that, beings of higher magnitudes of intelligence and evolution, uh, communicating with them through your mind. And it's essentially the practice of, it's a very difficult practice because you have to be a very advanced meditator who can induce, um, who can put yourself into a trance state essentially and a trance state is the state of no conscious mind working, uh, the conscious mind being completely put to bed. And so it's just your subconscious mind just open like a, like a radio transmitter, just open to receive a signal. And then with that intention of I'm open for communication, um, higher, higher intelligence beings can then actually communicate ideas to you through thought. But your, your conscious mind has to be out of the way. And that's obviously a pretty difficult thing to do. So some of these channelers who practiced this over the last, you know, many, many decades, I think the course was written in the seventies, was channeled in the seventies, law of one was channeled in the eighties. They've been able to make contact with some pretty remarkable uh, beings that had uh, messages to deliver. And the law of one was communicated by an entity that identified itself as Ra. And Ra is actually not just one entity, but a social memory complex of 
about 6 million entities whose minds have become joined, uh, who are communicating a message about the nature of the universe, which is that um, essentially all is one. That's why they call it the law of one. Mm -hmm. Everything you see, including you, uh, are the one infinite creator, whatever that means to you, that the formless intelligence of the universe, everything is that. And so out of that philosophy, they sort of kind of explain what the nature of the universe is and reincarnation and all the really kind of fun topics that we, we wrestle with in spirituality. The law of one has uh, answers for those questions that are truly astounding, but also resonate in such a powerful way that Basically, everybody I know who reads the Law of One comes away from it saying, wow, it's, it's like I knew all of this already, but I'm just like remembering it for the first time. Oh, wow. And it just resonates with the soul so much, right? Because it's able to talk to the soul instead of talking to the mind or to the body in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And um, just, okay, so it, it's a text. And I did have this question for you, which was like, what books or texts or any kind of other resource would you recommend to someone who's just beginning their journey to spiritual enlightenment or to spirituality, just out of you know their curiosity and have started asking that question? Yeah. Yeah, I would say for anyone who's, who's wanting to start this journey of self-awareness, the best place to start for me is uh, the, the two books from Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now and mm -hmm. Earth. They are... Uh, of all the books I've read there, to me, they're like the best introduction to real spirituality, like kind of bypassing all the BS that people typically get caught up in when they become yeah. spiritual and going right to the most helpful, resourceful, applicable practices and concepts to really help someone start seeing real results immediately in their life. The Power of Now and A New Earth are both remarkably effective texts for that. And A New Earth by Now is by? Uh, Eckhart Tolle. Okay, okay, right. I'll put those both, uh, both those books down in the description below and you'll be able to find them for the audience. So yeah, and um, The Power of Now, it talks about mindfulness, I'm guessing, just the title itself, it's so powerful. So could you just describe them just a little bit for us to get an idea of what the books talk about or? What do you yeah. love about them? They're, they're kind of similar. I, I think A New Earth is my favorite, but they're both uh, absolute must-reads. The Power of Now is, is really talking about the idea of what, what it means to be present and why everything you want in life comes from the now moment. All the success you're looking for, all the happiness you're looking for, you won't ever find it by being obsessed with past and future. And actually all suffering is past and future because all suffering is either remembered or anticipated. Mm -hmm. But in this present moment, there isn't suffering. There might be pain in the present moment, but there's no suffering in the present moment because suffering is the mind's narration or creating a story out of the pain we experience. Why is this happening to me? If only that had happened instead, if, I, if only I could go back to when it was better, these kinds of stories are what creates suffering. So the power of now is about teaching you why the present moment is the eternal home you've always been looking for and how to live in the present moment, which is really the freedom from negative thinking, essentially. And um, is there something that breaks you or helps you break through that suffering loop? Because sometimes like the negative thoughts can be so powerful that like, you want to break through them, but 
there just isn't enough or what is it for you that helps you break through that suffering loop or that mind the negative thoughts produced by the mind yeah well i would say that firstly when you are suffering you have to know that this is a a feedback from something earlier uh so it's maybe like shouting into a cave or something if you shout into a cave the sound waves echo through the back and then come back to the front and then you hear the echo at the by the time you're hearing the echo there's nothing you can do to stop the echo because it's the result of a past activity suffering is like that you're suffering from something you've already believed or thought or done so just know like as this pain is here now i can't there's nothing i can do to like pull the plug on it it's going to be here for the moment but i can I can make this easier by stepping back from, from identifying with it. This is my suffering. I'm the sufferer. Just leave all those ideas alone. Just mm -hmm. step back and be the pure empty witness. Like be a pair of floating eyeballs, like no brain even attached, just witnessing, right? Yeah. That act in and of itself uproots the source of the pain. And by doing that consistently, every time the thoughts are appearing, they're really just sort of ideas auditioning for your attention, saying like, hey, pay attention to me. I have some importance for you. I have some, some meaning to you. And when you don't buy what it's selling and you just watch with the total detachment, like you would watch a movie or something, <laughs> then the, the mind will eventually say, okay, we're losing too much energy. We're not getting the attention we need. Let's cut our losses and retreat. We'll come up with a new game plan. We'll come back later. So the mind will abandon that and you'll find a lot of peace and, and stillness of mind is there, but expect it to come back again because it will. It's going to keep reappearing to you until it's finally starved of energy because every thought is sort of like an animal in the wild or something. It's just trying to survive in your brain. Your brain is its environment. So it's looking, you're the, you're the watering hole, right? It's mm -hmm. looking at you to feed itself off of, and it's not going to stop asking you for food until it dies. So we say, just be the awareness of everything. Don't, don't go into the story. Don't entertain the ideas. Why did this happen to me? Boo-hoo, poor me, victim mentality. That's all making your life worse, right? You have to step away from that and begin asking that question, who am I? Who, who's the one witnessing this? Because the one who watches it can't be the one doing it because there's a subject and an object. So being the object is where suffering is. Being the subject is where freedom is. Oh, thank you, Aaron. I am, some of these concepts are so powerful that I'm internalizing them myself as I listen to you talk. And I wish we could keep on having this conversation and we're gonna do just that. And for all those listening, we're gonna be hosting a summit with Aaron where he's gonna talk more about spirituality and how to exactly discover your path to spirituality on the Blueprint for Life After College Summit. And before I close off this interview, I wanted to ask you for one thing, which is what advice would you give to your younger self or to someone who's just starting out on this journey? Good question. Um, <laughs> I guess I would say kind of the same thing that we've been saying, which is continue desiring to know who you are beyond the form. Just, just stay with that question. Who am I? 
and let that question burn away all other questions. Let that one desire to know who am I truly, who am I eternally, let that desire eat up all the other ones. Because really there is only one question, there is only one desire, which is that, the God wanting to know itself, wanting to experience itself. And all the personal desires we have, all the things we chase in the world are really disguises for that one question. We think we can find ourselves in pleasure, in money, in fame and notoriety. We think that those things will bring some answer to that burning question in all of us. Who am I? What am I? And by chasing those things, we find, well, I'm not that because I got it and it didn't change anything. Mm -hmm. Right? It didn't solve my problems. And eventually we come to the place where we, we stop looking outwards and we look inwards. We do that, that about face and we look inwards to ask the question, who am I? And once the tension is inward and that question is asked, that's where liberation happens. So it's like, stay with the question and just keep asking it in every experience innocently. And quickly, you're, you're going to make so much more progress on your spiritual evolution with that one question behind being the motivator behind everything, um, you'll save yourself hundreds of lifetimes of incarnation, just staying with that question and letting it purify you into the awareness of who you truly are. Oh, that's so inspiring. And I am ready to go out and practice the meat suit uh, methodology or just that perspective just to put on those lens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. The meat suit lenses. I, I, that's what I would like to call them. And thank you so much for this insightful conversation, Aaron. I mean, I am honestly feeling a lot more inspired to be on my own journey just by listening to you talk and just by how simply you put these concepts that are often overcomplicated. So thank you so much for not just what you said, but the way you explain it as well. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad to hear it, Anushka. And thank you again for having me. It's, it's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you. Yeah, and I'm excited for our next interview to continue this conversation forward, Aaron. And thank you so much for joining me and the audience. Likewise, we'll be talking very soon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for sharing your time and energy with the Unique You podcast. I'm grateful to have been a part of your day. Hopefully what I shared with you today will not only resonate with you, but will also help you on the journey we share to help others escape their unnecessary suffering. If this episode did help you today, then be sure to share it with someone else you know will need it. That mission you and I share will only be achieved when we share with others what has helped us. I hope I can help you further in creating a wholesome life after graduation and make your transition into adulthood smoother. You can always find me at A-O-N-U-S-H-K-A at mystinct.com. That is M-I-S-T-I-N-C-T dot com. Or sign up for the free summit we have coming up called the Blueprint for Life After College Summit. And this is your complete guide to a wholesome life. So I hope to see you in the summit and you can find it on my website m-i-s-t-i-n-c-t again dot com so it's mystinct.com i hope to see you there my friend take care